0: What offseason New York Giants hot takes were more or less a bunch of hot air? That plus answers to listener questions coming up on today's Locked On Giants podcast. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Chena. Happy to have you with us. Happy Monday. We are into our first full week of the month of June. Boy, time is really flying by, and it's going to be another busy week in the land of the Giants as the Giants wrap up OTAs. Uh, They've got OTAs, I believe, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Um, Thursday is going to be the media access one. And then the following week, they conclude their spring workouts with the mandatory mini camp. So plenty of stuff still to cover on the Locked on Giants podcast. And today's episode of the Locked on Giants podcast is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash Locked on Today to get started. All right. On today's Locked on Giants podcast, I wanted to do something a little different. So I went back and I was looking at some of the articles that I had written through the off season over at Giants country. And I put together a list of the top five, my top five at any rate, articles on topics that were considered hot takes, but really we're a bunch of hooey <laughs> so I'm gonna count them down from five to one I'm gonna rank them in, in reverse order I'd be curious to know what you guys and gals think about you know anything I might have missed or maybe a hot take that should have been higher or, or lower before I get into the hot takes I, I do want to say a couple things number one regardless of who it is everybody is entitled to have an opinion if somebody has an opinion, that I completely disagree with, but that person makes a compelling argument to support their opinion, then you know what, you, you just got to roll with it. and You know, you just got to respect it. But, you know, sometimes people come out with opinions and their support of their opinions are just lacking for lack of a better word. So, you know, I, I try to be respectful um, when I do my critiques, if you will, over on Giants Country, as well as here on the podcast. Uh, but some of these takes are just, you know, if I could whistle man, I would just probably, you know, give you a, a real loud whistle or something. But um, we're going to get into them. I've got five of them. I'm going to count them backwards from five to number one. And then later on in the show, I've got some listener submitted questions that I'm going to answer. So that's today's agenda. Again, thank you for tuning in, making us your first listen of the day, or if watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. Let's get started with item number five. And by the way, I'm linking all these stories that I'm referencing to Giants Country. So you can find them in the uh, show notes. If you want to go back and read what I wrote about it. If you want to go back and read um, the actual articles, Mm -hmm. there are links to the articles in in, uh, the pieces that I did on Giants Country. Again, all that's in the show notes. All right, item number five, Bleacher Report's off-season grades. Now, Bleacher Report um, basically gave the Giants a decent grade overall. But here's the hot take that had me scratching my head. So they gave a... An A- for trades and free agent activities. Okay, I can live with that. But they gave a C-plus for the draft class. What? A C-plus? All right, never mind the fact that this draft class hasn't taken a single NFL snap to where, you know, how the heck do you even grade them? But um, actually, let me go back, backtrack a little bit here and just mention some of the points Bleacher Report Um, raised in this article that had me just saying, what are they thinking? All right. So the first thing they said is that the Giants overpaid for quarterback Daniel Jones, who has an APY of 40 million. Um, I don't know if anybody bothered to look at what the average APY is for quarterbacks in the NFL, but they did not overpay for Daniel Jones. And that APY for what it's worth, that's with the incentives built in, most of the incentives. So it's not a true 40 million. It's actually more of a like a 36 million, um, which is where I had figured the Giants would try and land with Daniel Jones. But the incentives and whatnot boost up the value. So it's it's not a true forty million. That's num- point number one. But let me talk about the grade that they gave to the draft picks. And again, besides the fact that these kids have not yet set foot on the, on the, uh, on an NFL field. All right. Let's look at what the giants did in the draft. All right. They added speed on both sides of the ball. They addressed some glaring needs at center, at cornerback, at wide receiver. All right. They basically got every single draft pick at a good value. These are guys that, if you go back and you look at where they were projected to be drafted versus where they were actually drafted, Joe Shane did a masterful job. All right. He was patient when he needed to be. He moved up and was aggressive when he needed to be. And he got tremendous value on every single one of his draft picks. So, to give this class I C, plus, I don't get it. All right. Now, The other concern that was raised in this article was um, there's no true number one receiver to come out of the offseason, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, The run heavy teams like Philly and the 49ers um, are legit concerns for the Giants. And I'll get to that in a minute. But first, you know, let me circle back to the wide receiver comment. No, the Giants did not acquire a true number one receiver. but ladies and gentlemen, tight end Darren Waller is going to be their number one receiver, right? There's no rule that says that a number one receiver has to be a wide receiver according to position chart. You know, you look at New England and all the years they had grunk a tight end as their number one receiver. You look at um, Kansas City, who has Kelsey down there as their number one receiver. So is having a number one receiver, you know, that big of a deal? I mean, yes, you would like to have it, but if you don't and you have a good, solid tight end capable of making deep plays, capable of doing damage, capable of drawing defenders to the middle of the field, which opens things up to the outside, isn't that just as good? So I'm sorry, I don't buy that logic at all, that argument at all. Um the legit concern about the run defense, you know, and they mentioned Philly and the 49ers. Yes, those are two very good teams. But correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't the Giants add Bobby O'Karake to the linebacker core? Didn't they beef up the depth on the defensive line with Sean Robinson and Raheem Nunez-Roches? I mean, if you're going to give the Giants an A- for free agency and trades, You're going to forget about those three. Come on. Where does that make sense? How does that make sense? It doesn't. So, you know, with all due respect to Bleacher Report, for whom I used to contribute, by the way, this article, you know, this assessment, which was part of an overall take on all 32 NFL teams. I didn't get this one at all. I mean, I, I just thought the arguments made were just, you know, they lacked. So, All right, item number four, headline number four, also from Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report is not buying the Darren Waller hype. Now, this was a recent article that just came out, um, I want to say last week. Um, So they mentioned several points on this one. Number one, Waller's age. He's on the wrong side of 30. Well, isn't DeAndre Hopkins also on the wrong side of 30? And isn't he also a guy that, you know, people are bound, pounding the table for? All right. All or nothing. You know, in, in other words, um, the impression is, is that, that uh, Waller is going to be like the alpha and omega of the Giants offense. No, that's not the case. This isn't a situation like it was, you know, a few years ago when Odell Beckham Jr. was here. And Odell Beckham Jr. was the only playmaker. This team had. I mean, everybody knew it. Everybody, you know, the opponents, they all knew to stop the Giants offense, you stop Odell, and you win. It was that simple. That's not the case with this team. You know, Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, they change up their game plan to where, depending on the matchups, different guys are going to be featured. So one week it might be Waller, next week it might be Slayton or or Hodgins. One week, it might be Saquon. It's not totally dependent on Waller. And oh, by the way, you forgetting about Daniel Bellinger, who looked pretty good last year and who was beefed up uh, to hit, to better handle blocking? You don't think he can step in if you needed him to? Maybe not on the same level as Waller, but he's no slouch either. So I'm sorry. Don't buy that argument. Um, and. The other point that was made with, with the within this article is they talked about, you know, Waller's injury history. And, oh, my gosh, you know, you can't count on him because he has an injury history. Well, didn't Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley have an injury history? And, oh, by the way, didn't they make it through the season last year? So the point is, is just because the guys had some rough patches with injuries doesn't necessarily mean that, He's doomed to be injured every year. There are guys who could, be, who could snap the injury streak. I remember Amani Toomer, when he first came into the league, he was kind of on the frail side and missed time due to injuries. And Amani went into the weight room, got bigger and stronger, and increased his durability. And he became a rock for the Giants back in the day. So don't necessarily write off Waller because he's on the wrong side of 30. And he's had injuries, same as D-Hop, by the way. So I'm sorry, that argument that, uh, you know, don't buy the D-Waller hype. Now, the only justification I can make for that is we have not seen Waller in this offense. We also, um, you know, we have a lot of spring football left and we have to see training camp to see how he's deployed. Because what we're seeing in the spring isn't necessarily what's going to happen in the fall. But, you know, to to write it off and just say, oh, you know, Waller's not going to make a difference. Uh, Yeah. Tell that to, again, to to the Patriots when they had Gronk or the Chiefs, you know, who have Kelsey, a good tight end, a good receiving tight end can make a difference. And yes, he can be your number one receiver. So don't poo-poo that idea, folks. All right. Coming up next, I've got my top three. So don't go anywhere. Hey, giant fans, get in on all the sports action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no sweat first bet up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if their first bet doesn't win. Just go to fanduel.com slash lock on and sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. FanDuel offers great promotions, a safe and secure app to place your bets, and instant payouts. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. All right, Giant fans, welcome back to the Locked on Giants podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Trana. And coming up this week, I mentioned before, Giants OTA number nine, I believe, that'll be on Thursday. So the plan is to get down to or get up to East Rutherford um, and, uh, you know, do what I've been doing all along, taking notes, making observations and getting a pod out to you as quickly as I can. So that's the plan for Thursday going into Friday. Also on the show this week, I am hoping to get you an interview. I'm not sure if it's going to happen this week, but I'm hoping soon enough. I've made contact with Tana and bad dog. We will be doing a live show. I don't think it's going to be this week, but for sure, I think it would be next week. So that is, is uh, in, the, uh, in the pot, if you will, on the stove. And then also, um, I want to continue a series that I started on Friday, which was expectations for certain select players. So I did the rookies on Friday. And on the next show, I think I want to do um, expectations for guys in year two and then select guys in year three plus. So that's what's coming up on the Lockdown Giants podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. Let's get back to my list of off-season hot takes that didn't really lack a whole lot of uh, steam, if you will. All right. Number three on the list. This one courtesy of CBS Sports, CBS Sports doubts New York Giants return to playoffs as written by Will Brinson, a guy who, you know, I think does excellent work, by the way. So Brinson in his argument as to why the Giants may not make the playoffs, keyword may not, not will not, but may not. He mentioned doubts about Daniel Jones he mentioned that the situation with Saquon Barkley is a problem. He mentioned the strength of schedule. All right, so let me take these one by one. Daniel Jones doubts. Nowhere in Brinson's argument did he take into consideration that A, the offensive line last year was not consistent, B, the receiving group was one of those mishmashes that were kind of put together that the coaching staff actually got more out of than I think anybody would have guessed they would have. So you also have to take into consideration that last year was a new system for everybody. So guys weren't playing as fast as they might be playing this year moving forward now that they're in year two of the system. So there were a lot of counter arguments that you could make regarding these doubts that you have about Daniel Jones, right? And all things considered, Daniel Jones had a decent year, right? But yet he continues to have haters. And I don't understand why that is. You know, people think that, you know, last year was was the exception rather the rule, than the rule. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I feel that Daniel Jones is on, finally on the right path. He finally has good coaching. Finally, he has stable uh, stable coaching. So I'm willing to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Now, you can look at the contract that Daniel Jones got, four-year deal that the team can technically get out of after two years if they want to and say, well, maybe the Giants still have their doubts as well. And that's fair. That's fair. But you could also look at it this way. You don't want to have to necessarily give a guy a ton of money based on one good season. You have to try and find a happy medium. And in structuring Jones's contract the way they did, the Giants found a happy middle ground, if you will. They paid the guy, but they didn't lock themselves in long term. And if Daniel Jones continues to do well, they'll rip up the the last year or two of that contract and they'll pay him again, guaranteed, all right? So if Daniel Jones doesn't do well, then sayonara, baby, we're moving on. So uh, the Giants, Joe Shane, no dummy here. He planned accordingly. And obviously you hope for the best, but you also have to plan for the worst. And that's what Joe Shane did with that contract. The Saquon Barkley situation, Folks, look, here's the the bottom line. I've been saying this all along. I'm going to say it again. Saquon is going to be on the field for the Giants opening day, barring an injury, all right? He is not going to hold out of the season. Is he going to maybe hold out at, at the start of training camp if a deal isn't done by July 17th, the deadline? I could see that happening. I could definitely see that happening. I could definitely see a scenario where Saquon, out of protests, doesn't report to training camp until like the last week or week and a half of the summer so he can get into football shape. It would behoove him to be in camp because, look, if he doesn't get the deal that he's looking for, sitting out, that's not going to help his case. You can't go off of, you know, if you, if you sit out the season, you can't go off of film from two, two years ago. You just can't. So Saquon has every reason in the world to report. Now, I saw somebody, I think, mentioned it on my Twitter timeline. You know, will Saquon not try hard if he doesn't get the deal he wants? No, that, that's not going to happen. And, and, you know, Saquon is a competitor. Saquon takes pride in what he does. So for him to dog it, I don't see that happening at all, not at all. Not to mention, it would hurt Saquon's case if he came in here and dogged it, at, you know, out of protest to, uh, to the Giants. Because again, if he doesn't get the deal he wants this year, we're going to have to go through this whole song and dance again next year. And Saquon can help himself by a staying healthy and b posting better numbers than what he posted a year ago. So again, to summarize, Saquon may sit out the beginning part of camp. And if he does, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get too overly concerned, but if he waits to show up, say like two or three days before the start of the season, then I got to really say, Saquon, man, what are you doing? Because if he does that, it's going to take him time to get into football shape. I don't care what kind of physical shape he's in. Getting into football shape is a lot different. And if he comes in like really super late, the coaches will probably have to limit his reps in the very beginning. They're not going to throw him out there for a full workload. And that's only going to hurt Saquon, you know, in terms of his production. So, I would not play games with that if I were his side. If I were advising him, I wouldn't play games with that because look, once that July 17 deadline passes, you don't have any more leverage. You know, you could sit out training camp fine, but everybody knows that you're going to show up eventually and sign that tag. There's no deadline, by the way, right? At least not until I think week 10 of the season as far as signing that tag. So that's how I see it playing out. I'm not convinced that the two sides will get a long-term deal done. I do think it'll come down to the 11th hour. I hope it gets done. I'm not optimistic as of this taping, but we'll see. Plenty of time still. So, okay, number two on my list, Bill Barnwell of ESPN was unimpressed with the New York Giants' off-season moves. He mentioned, amongst other things in this article, that the organization seems to have bought into its own hype. What? Um, he mentioned um, the fact that the Giants went out and paid Daniel Jones, despite the fact that they passed on picking up his fifth-year option. What? And then he he uh, also pointed out that um, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones are – cap chokers that prohibited the Giants from upgrading in other spots. What? (laughs) All right. So at this point, you could probably uh, guess where I'm going with this. So let's take each of these points. First off, I'm not sure where Barnwell is or how he's concluding that the organization has bought into its own hype. All right. I'm I, I just don't see it. Brian Dable won't allow that to happen you know this isn't a case like a few years ago when Ben McAdoo was the head coach in year two at coming off that playoff season it was pretty obvious at that point that the Giants had bought their own press clippings if you will I don't see it so far with the 2023 version of the Giants I see a bunch of guys who are humble who know that they have to get better who have a bitter taste in their mouth after getting bounced out of the divisional playoffs last year. So I'm sorry. I don't see how this organization is buying its own hype because not much was expected from this team to begin with. And I just, I I just don't see it. So, all right. The Daniel Jones situation. Why did the Giants go and pay him after declining his fifth year? Duh. They had to, I mean, come on, let's, let's go back to 2022, Joe Shane, Brian Dable, the coaching staff, all brand new. They had some familiarity with Jones. I'm sure from having watched film of him when he was coming out of Duke, but did they really know him? Did they, did they they really know him the way they knew now? No. Did they know that Daniel Jones was going to take to the offensive system that they were going to install? No, did they know that Daniel Jones, you know, would would kick the injury bug that has plagued him the first four years of his career or three years, excuse me? No, there was a lot they didn't know about Daniel Jones. So you know what? Rather than invest big money and then find out that Daniel Jones was was not what they thought he would be or what he what he could be, they went the safe route and. You know, I could see where Barmo maybe is getting that from because Joe Shane did say, I think at one point to, to paraphrase, he said something about in retrospect, he wishes that, you know, he should have picked up Daniel's option here, but you know what hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't fault Joe Shane for not doing it. I would have done the same thing for the reasons I just mentioned. It didn't know what you were going to get from Daniel Jones and, you know, all the, people who are saying, oh, the Giants screwed up, you know, they messed up their cap because of that. No, they did not. They absolutely did not, which is going to be my next point. Um, But first I want to finish this point here. You had no mention of the fact that Daniel Jones, uh, his pass protection was inconsistent or his receivers were either dropping passes or not getting open on a consistent basis. So if you're going to critique the guy, shouldn't you take all that into consideration to balance out the argument, you would think? All right. Now, the cap chokers, as I call them, Barmel pointed to Jones and Barkley, who is on the franchise tag, as choking up the cap and prohibiting the Giants from addressing other needs, which is not true, by the way. Bobby O'Carriquet, you know, Nunez Nunes-Roches, Sean Robinson. The draft class they were able to fit in, Darren Waller, whose contract they redid. All right, but let's let's stick with Daniel and Saquon. Ideally, you want every guy on your roster to not count for more than 10% of the salary cap. All right, so what does Daniel Jones count for? Glad you asked. Daniel Jones has an APY of $40 million, which is the 11th highest APY amongst starting quarterbacks. Not even top 10. And as far as what percentage he counts against the cap, 9.5% in 2023. That's not exactly what I would call a cap choker. But you know, that's my definition at any rate. Saquon, if he plays on the tag, he's going to count for 4.4% against the salary cap in 2023. Again, not a cap choker. So what is a cap choker? How about Leonard Williams at 32 million? Third highest number for 2023 in the league counts for 14.1% of the team's salary cap this year. That ladies and gentlemen is a choker. You want another choker? How about the dead money? that the team is racking up, which counts for 10.1% of their 2023 20 cap. Now, in fairness with the dead money, it's necessary because Shane is still trying to clean up the mess that he inherited and it wasn't going to get all done in one year, but those are the two highest figures right now against the giants salary cap. So if you add them up, you get, 24.2% on two factors. There's your chokers. Not Daniel Jones and not Saquon Barkley. Who by the way with the latter if he does sign a new multi-year deal, that 4.4% is going to drop. So sorry. Don't blame Daniel and don't blame Saquon Saquon for choking up the cap because it's not true. The numbers say otherwise. And moreover, to say that they didn't address areas and other needs, that's not true either. You know, maybe they didn't get big name guys, but come on. You know, there's a big difference between getting big names and getting the right names. And Joe Shane proved that last year. Last year, he got the right names. They weren't glamour names. They weren't household names, but they helped. The team get to the playoffs, and isn't that what you want at the end of the day? I mean, do you want an Eagles dream team like a few years ago, which was the biggest one of the biggest busts that I can remember, or do you want the right guys, no name guys, who when they come together, create a team that is capable of doing great things? I'd sign up for the for the latter myself. Maybe you you feel differently, but that's my take on that. All right. We are now down to the number one biggest hot air take amongst offseason headlines for the New York Giants. And this one, this one, I'm still shaking my head over because I cannot believe that it came out of a guy who has been an NFL GM. That headline The disease of me as inspired by former NFL GM term analyst, Michael Lombardi. Now Lombardi, this this took place, um, I I think it was like April or early May when when he came out with these comments. And he pointed to the contract impasses with Dexter Lawrence and Saquon Barkley and insinuated that the Giants had a disease of me in the locker room. And that they weren't good enough to overcome the disease of me. Now, I don't know if Michael Marty has ever been in the Giants locker room because I'm not in the building every single day. I don't have the the luxury of, say, the network people of walking into the building, you know, on a whim to do an interview or whatever. But I don't see a disease of me in, in that building. Never have. So let me get to these specific points here. We'll start with Barkley. Yes, there is a contract impasse, which I strongly believe is due to the guaranteed money, what the Giants are willing to pay versus what's, what Saquon wants. Not necessarily the APY. I'm convinced more and more that that's not, the, that's not at play here. But here's what we do know. Saquon wants the Giants. And the Giants want Saquon. Yes, they're in a stare down, but ultimately each side's going to have to blink and give up a little something so that they meet somewhere in the middle. Now, if Saquon decides to dig in and say, nope, I'm not backing down off of what I want. Could that be a problem? Yes. I don't think it'll get to that, but you never know. Could the Giants dig in and say, Saquon, The market has spoken. This is what we're going to give you. Take it or leave it. Sure they could. But, you know, look, while we all want to get the most as possible, while we all want financial security for ourselves and for our children and our children's children, you also have to be realistic. You know, I could sit here and say that I'm worth a heck of a lot more than what I'm getting paid, but I'm also realistic. I know what the market is. I know what my value is. I know what I'm capable of doing, what I'm not capable of doing. So I'm not going to sit here tempting as it is and demand the sun, moon, and stars, even though I might think I'm worth it because you got to be realistic. You know, I also need the tools to do my job. You know, I need the, the zoom account that I used to tape. I need, you know, the video editing software that I use, the microphone, the lights, all the equipment I need to tape this podcast. So that all has to be furnished and provided for. Same thing with Saquon. He needs blockers. He needs, you know, players around him because football is a team sport. It's not about one guy. So there has to be a give and take here. And until there's that give and take, and again, I think it comes down to the 11th hour with him. I don't see anything getting done at least, you know, not until July when we officially go on Saquon watch um, about a week or so before the, uh, the deadline. All right. Dexter Lawrence. Let's talk about him. Now Dexter has since signed his contract since, you know, this disease and me things started, but I think, what Michael Bordy was referring to was the fact that Dexter Lawrence had a contract, his option year of his rookie deal, but was absent from the OTAs. Um, hi, OTAs are voluntary. The off season program, you know, the weight training part that Dexter missed voluntary The on field work and phase two voluntary. Right. And Oh, by the way, Dexter Lawrence, who doesn't have an offseason workout bonus in his contract this year, was at the OTAs last week. So is that a disease of me? Is that a sign of somebody who was selfish? I don't think so. With Dexter, it was all about business. Look, he knew that his contract need was going to be extended. Shane and his agents, you know, had conversations for, for weeks. It was just a matter of when the deal got done and Dexter, you know, stayed away for his own reasons, probably, you know, not to to get hurt or anything like that and just waited for it. How is that any different than any other player who decides, you know, Hey, my contract is up or it's approaching the end. We're working on an extension. It's not done yet. So I'm going to just lay low until it gets done. What's the big deal? How is that a disease of me? To me, and and I've been in locker rooms where it's been about, you know, where where you've had guys that have had the legitimate disease of me. I've seen it and it's ugly. And I'm also going to tell you this much. It doesn't exist in Brian Daple's locker room. He will not put up with it. All right. If you are not about the team, you probably will not be on that roster you probably will not be a New York giant in any capacity. You know, some coaches in the past might've looked the other way because of player's talent or whatever the case may be, or a contract or whatever, not this group. So this disease of me, mm, that one takes, takes the uh, trophy in my list of five overblown headlines about the New York giants this off season. Did I miss one? let me know. If you're watching on YouTube, drop a comment below. If you are listening on our audio platforms, send me an email and let me know. All right. Coming up next, I have a few listener submitted questions that I want to answer for you. So don't go anywhere. All right. Welcome back everybody to the Locked On Giants podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Trana. Happy to have you with us. And in this segment, I'm going to answer some of the listener submitted questions that I started getting last week for this uh, particular mailbag. So let's jump right into it. Um, This first one is from Ken Peters, who writes, I'm very happy about the non-pursuit of DeAndre Hopkins. We're still a year away. Two questions. Are you at field level or elevated in the stands? Are you ever going to do a look ahead on 2024 cap space? Ken, thank you for the questions. Um, to answer your first one, at the OTAs, we're kind of field level? And I say kind of because depending on which field the Giants are working on, we could be on the patio, which is slightly elevated, but we're not that far up to where we can see you know, formations and stuff. If they're on the backfield, what's known as field three, then we're on the same level as the players. So that would answer that one. Um, and a look ahead at the 2024 cap space, you know, I might do a series on that over on Giants Country. Um, whether I adapt that for a podcast, I don't know. But you're right. It is fluid. But I have an idea on how to approach that. Um, and I'll just see how that kind of plays out. Because, you know, as you know, we're approaching the dead period very, very soon. We're NFL news and, you know, there's only so many feature stories and stuff that we can write about and talk about. But maybe I'll do something on that Um so still to be determined, let's put it that way. So thanks for the question. Lenny Girado asks, thank you for the update. So Jackson was fielding kicks. I wonder why they had him back there. If he's not being considered for the main return specialist role, emergency returner. Lenny, um, thank you for the question. First off right now, um, they're practicing fielding kickoffs and punts, kickoffs and punts come off the kicker's foot a little differently. It's just practice. And the more guys you have doing it, the better. I mean, I would not read into any of this right now. Take all this with a grain of salt. You know, um, it doesn't mean that that Jackson won't do it. I doubt he will. But for Brian able to get up there and definitively say, no, he's not going to return punts, or No, he's not going to return kickoffs. That wouldn't do any good. I mean, the only good it would do is maybe you know, calm the fears of people like myself who don't want to see it happen. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's really not a big deal, Lenny. I mean, I could go back there and feel punts and, and kickoffs if they asked me to, they just need somebody to catch them so that they can kind of, you know, have the, I don't want to call them wedge guys, but the two lead blockers kind of, you know, run their patterns and, you know, so, so it's, it's a timing thing is what I'm getting at. So they just have different guys taking turns at it. It's not a big deal right now. All right, Jeremy Davis asks, how does Darius Slayton look, and who do you think will be wide receiver one? All right, Jeremy, wide receiver one is Darren Waller, tight end. I keep saying it. He is going to be the number one receiver. I don't think this team has a number one, a true number one wide receiver. So you're going to see different guys get opportunities each week. But I think right now the plan for the top three is Slayton, Um Jalen Hyatt and Isaiah Hodgins. In par- uh, top four, excuse me. Slayton, Hyatt, uh, Jalen Hyatt, and Hodgins. Um, Hyatt might be number four right now because he's a rookie. So, you know, Paris Campbell might have bumped up to number one. I don't know, but they, you know, they just don't have a true number one. So, kind of, you know, it's kind of a hard question to answer. Um, as far as Darius Slayton, I haven't really honed in on him, to be honest with you, but I haven't at the same time in my notes, I haven't written anything negative about, oh my God, drop problem or, or can't get open or, you know, bad body positioning or, you know, something like that. So I would say no news is good news when it comes to Darius Slayton. Um, I really like by the way, how he has matured his perspective on things, um, I have mad respect for that young man. I really do. I can't say it enough. And uh, look, I thought he was he was a goner, you know, off this roster last year. And I'm so glad I was wrong, you know. So um, thank you for your question. All right. I think I have one more. Let me just see if I have one more question. I think so. Okay. Yes. I have one more question from David D., Oh, this is an interesting one. What stats are important with the Hall of Fame induction? Should Tiki and or Otis Anderson be in the Hall of Fame and why or why not? Oh, that's a good question, uh, David. Um, I'm really not sure what criteria the Hall of Fame selection committee uses. And I say that because I go back and I look at how Harry Carson how it took like, I think 12 or 13 tries for him to get into the hall of fame when he clearly had credentials to do it. I don't want to say that the selection process can be political, but I would not be surprised if some of that factors in. Um, I really don't know what the stats are. It, you know, I don't think there's a magic number per se, you know, like I would think if the guy is, is a, Game changer of some sort, you know, you look at a Barry Sanders, for example, or a Jim Brown, those guys were game changers, you had a you had a literally plan against, you know, to, to stop those guys, and they were hard to stop, you know, Otis, he was tough to stop in the day too. But, you know, on the same level as a Barry Sanders, or, or a, uh, a Jim Brown, I don't know if you can make that argument. And same thing with Tiki who was kind of a different style runner. Tiki was more of, you know, the, the, the slash and dash um, also a good receiver out of the backfield. So, yeah, I I don't even know if uh, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've ever seen Tiki's name on the preliminary finalists lists. You know, I've seen Rondé's name on there, his twin brother, who was a cornerback for the bucks, but not Tiki's. And I don't think I've ever seen Otis's name on there. Now that I think about it. So, I mean, to answer your question, David, there's no magic number that says, okay, if you have 10,000 rushing yards, you're automatically going to be considered for the Hall of Fame. I think it's by nomination, and then what happens is the Hall of Fame committee gathers before the Super Bowl. The players, I think, are presented by a specific. You know, I'm not sure how the assignment works. I, I I'm not on the committee, um, but they're presented, and a case is made for their candidacy by the committee members, and then the rest of the committee members vote on it, you know, whether or not it was a compelling case or not. And again, I go back to the Harry Carson fiasco and I, I just, I question, you know, the whole selection process. I question, you know, why hall of fame uh, selection members have lifetime positions. I don't think that's fair. I think they should maybe recycle some of the people, you know, especially, you know, I I don't know. That's just my take. I'm not a big fan of how it works, but, you know, and I probably just blew any chance I have of being named. But um, I I just I don't understand sometimes the rhyme or reason that goes into into the selection process. I really don't. So I wish I could give you a better answer. But um, now, do I think Tiki and Otis should be in the Hall of Fame? That's a tough one. That's, that's a real tough one. Um, I don't know, you know, look for all they did for the Giants, you know, do they belong in the ring of honor? Absolutely. And I think both of them are in the ring of honor, But hall of fame. I'm not so sure that, that they have, you know, that that, that they would get the support to be in the hall of fame. It doesn't matter what I think, cause I don't have a vote, but I'm, I'd be willing to, you know, sit, go on a limb here and say that I don't think they have the necessary credentials to be voted into the hall of fame or even considered for the hall of fame. Not saying that's right, just keeping it real with you. So thank you for the question. And thank you all as always for the questions. If you have them, you know what to do. It's in the show notes for my people who are um, on the text plan, the text messaging group, you can text them to me and, uh, I will work them into the program. I should have some slots open, uh, this week. So if you have a burning question that you want to ask me, just send them over. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're on that text, that subtext group, that committee, and if you're on that subtext group that, uh, you know, that program that I'm running details of which in the show notes, um, I will see them because they do come right to me. Um, so yeah. Hope I hear from you. So all right, Giant Fans, that's going to do it for me on today's Locked on Giants podcast. Again, thank you for making us your first listener today or watching on YouTube, your first watcher today. We'll see you tomorrow, Giant Fans.